Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be back here again. And I have a wonderful guest. I'm so excited to be with her. I've been anticipating our conversation for quite a while. That's actually made me a little nervous, but I'm glad to be here. She's a wonderful person. I'm very comfortable with her. Her name is Sue Cockle. And I want to start with a quote from your blog, Sue. And she says, 2021 was another strange year full for all of us. I started the year alone, frustrated, angry, and felt like I had lost myself. However, being forced to come to terms with life after loss and to stand still gave me peace to breathe, to be, and to find my ultimate freedom. At the end of each year, I like to reflect on my journey over the previous 12 months. This year has involved fewer physical miles, but overcome a lot of emotional hurdles. Here is my tale of finding freedom through lockdown, for now at least. I love that. Thank you. And we're going to start just with your backstory. I know it goes much further than 2014, but I do want you to talk a little bit about your husband, Terry, Mm -hmm. and that story, because that's really the pivotal time for you that really changed the trajectory in your life. So, and I love when we've lost, we've lost someone near and dear to us that speaking their name is very important. So tell us a little bit about your, your beloved husband. Okay, thank you, Sue. Um, well, Terry was my, um, he was my husband for 13 years, um, but we were together for 18 years, but he was, he was more than my husband. He was my best friend. Um, he was the person I laughed the most with and the hardest with. Um, he was my very faithful, loyal traveling companion. And, um, and we were together for 18 years, but in the whole time, we never had an argument, which I know mm. for some people is weird. He, we, 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 were, we were as close as anyone could be um, in a relationship, I guess. Um, and then, unfortunately, um, back in... Tw- so before I, before I met Terry, um, he had an um, aortic aneurysm. So he was very young when he had it. So he was... He was only about 30 when he had that. Mm. And I met mm. him after after that when he just hit, um, he was just about to hit five years surviving after after having that operation. Um, so there, there was always something kind of hanging over us, yeah. his health, and he had to go in for regular checkups. Um, but he was always somebody who lived life to the absolute fullest. Um, I used to say he had two modes. It was either full on or asleep. And like everything was, everything was a plan. He never, he never stopped. Every morning it was like, I've got a plan. It was like, okay, what's, what are we doing today? Um, And he was a real force of nature and everybody who ever met him just loved Terry. But unfortunately in 2014, the aneurysm that he'd had kind of reared its ugly head again. And when he was on a, went to a checkup, they basically said they needed to perform another operation on him. Um, And so there was, well, a couple of months, I guess, or a month at least, 
um, of knowing he had to go in for, for open heart surgery, big mm. operation. Um, and unfortunately, just before Christmas, so it was the 17th of December, um, he oh. went in for his operation and he never came back. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, I wasn't ready, but I had to say goodbye to him. Yeah. yeah. You're never ready. No. I'm so, I'm no. So they, said, they said he had a 90% chance of surviving the operation. Oh. Um, so we focused on that because we're both sure. people. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Yeah. And you had planned on traveling before he was anticipating his surgery. Is that oh, correct? Oh, we traveled or... a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to, we had, um, travel was always very important to us. It was like a fundamental part of, of what we did together. So mm -hmm. before we would leave on regular trips. So in the UK, we're more fortunate, I know, because we have um, longer annual leave longer holidays so we had a standard of 25 days a year nice. and we'd we'd buy more so we'd get 30 days a year and we maxed it out we would literally we if we were going somewhere we'd be working from home halfway to the airport in the afternoon while we're making phone calls and signing yeah. off yeah at the airport and the, the number of times I've been to meetings where I've flown in from Australia at six o'clock in the morning gone and had a shower and then gone straight to a meeting yeah um, just because we could max out our holidays that way sure and so you were travel able to... was a very very important thing for us sorry and no no and you were able to take that in a, a chunk of time so that yeah. you really immersed yourself into yeah. where you and were we'd, traveling we'd always as well so we'd have say two week holidays um and we would always because terry had a short attention span <laughs> <laughs> We would always be moving on. So we'd always stop somewhere and then we'd move on after two or three days. Um, and I'd organize all our holidays. We were never anywhere for longer than three three days or so. Even if we were just having a relaxing beach holiday, we'd stop and we'd stay at like four different places um, for that relaxing beach holiday. So we, we never stopped and we, we, and it used to mean that we could go away for two weeks and it felt like we were away for a month. Mm. Nice. I have this vision of him, him going quickly, and you're kind of following behind him. Your shirt tails flapping in the wind, you know. Oh, very, very much so. Yes, it was, it was a little similar to that to that, but I enjoyed every step of the way. You know, and I absolutely relished it, and, and yeah, get used to the way someone is, and and it becomes part of you. And still now, I I don't stop anywhere for too long. I'm always moving. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift, what a gift. Mm. And um, you're now single, alone, no children, no pets, because that's too difficult to make those arrangements. You wanna be able to make your plans and go. And um, I'm going to post your uh, website as part of this uh, podcast, because I want people to be able, well, I already did on the Facebook group, but I want people to see and learn more about you because there's so much richness there and so Thank many you. lessons to be learned. And I would love to travel and I have to make my life list and hopefully that will happen. Maybe you can encourage me along the way. I'm, I'm all for encouraging anyone to, to create <laughs> a life great. list too. It's, 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 it's saved me. It's, it's got me through this last, well, yeah. it's over seven years now. So yeah. it's got me through it. 
I can really sense that. Mm-hmm. I like to ask all my guests because my podcast is all about thriving, the journeys that women take that hopefully bring them to a place where they're thriving and living a full life. So I will ask you, are you thriving? Um, I think I am now, actually. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think I've, I've got to a point. Um, well, what I know about the journey that I'm on now uh, is that it, it is that it's uh, I, I always say to anyone who's dealing with grief, it's not something that you ever get over. You just mm-hmm. learn to you, you learn to live with it. And I think I've got to a point now where um, I can smile again. I can be happy I, I, whenever I think of Terry, I always smile anyway. Um, I feel incredibly lucky that I, I met him and we had mm-hmm. that amazing 18 years together. Yeah. Um, and um, But I've got a new life and a very different life now. Um, and I decided that everything needed to change. So I just changed everything. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm fortunate to be able to have financial freedom to do the stuff that I, I want to do and I'm now able to do, mm-hmm. um, which only happened to me because of, this journey that I've been on yeah um and um yeah I'd absolutely say hopefully I'm now thriving yeah well it seems so it seems so oh uh, you know it's hard to even it's hard to even speak because I really feel the depth of all of this so in 2020 well actually in 2020 UK had three lockdowns mm-hmm. and you talk about discovering home during that time so I'd like to talk about that a little bit um, during the second lockdown you talk about losing yourself mm-hmm. Christmas you had planned to go to Australia because that's where family is and you weren't able to do that. So you planned a trip to the Caribbean and that was canceled. And you got an invite from friends for Christmas Mm -hmm. Eve. So you said you took a calculated risk for your mental health. But I'd like you to talk about that time and specifically about that second lockdown where you talk about losing yourself and what that means for you. Yeah, well, um, probably for this, I, I go back to my old job to help to try and explain it. And I've explained how Terry and I approached life, basically. But um, when I was in my old job, we had a team building um, session and it was all about finding that our essence as a team. It's like what, what was a thing that was so important to all of us and it was really at our core. And before mm-hmm. we could do that as a team, we did that as individuals. Mm. And... Um, mine one thing that was right at my core was freedom and that's why probably I never had kids never had a not had a dog I'd struggle with house plants as well now because it just means (laughs) I I can't I I always want to be able to do what I want to do and when I want to do it and selfish though that sounds no it's not selfish is the ultimate so when it went Terry and I we would our whole ethos was we want to earn the money so that we can go traveling whenever we want to do it and when we want to do it that's why we worked incredibly hard and mm-hmm. um, so uh so the first lockdown um 
I think it was all a bit weird. I'd, I'd actually rushed back from the States. I was on a road trip um, in America around um, Nashville, Memphis, and New Orleans with a friend of mine. Um, it was supposed to be two weeks. We were we were being chased by COVID all the way through the yeah. trip. Sure. Yeah. We were away for only about a week in the end. And I was on one of the last flights back to the UK. So I literally arrived back home and then it was two days and we were all in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So um, where I live, I'm in, a, I'm in a flat. So I'm two floors up. Um, and I just literally just before I left to go to the States, I'd um, given up my house with a garden. So while everyone was talking about growing their own vegetables and mm. how amazing is it to have a garden, I didn't have anything and there's no communal gardens or anything here. I'm very, very, very pleased with my choice. It's all fine. And you're not so, good with um, house plants, so yeah. that didn't help either. <laughs> Literally yeah. nothing. So oh. I used to go down to the park and have a walk around the park and things nice. to get fresh air. Um, but that was the first lockdown and I guess it was kind of back then it was just a bit of a novelty and we were were sort of all in it together Mm -hmm. Um, and I kept a tight tight grip on my friends who were doing it on their own as well because I think it was a very different journey for everybody Mm -hmm. Um, but doing it on your own had its own challenges Mm -hmm. Um, so then the second lockdown where I, where I say I felt like I was losing myself is because I could cope with it that first time, but then that second time, because we'd been in lockdown and then we'd come out and I'd, I'd been able to do some traveling. Um, I went to Scotland with a friend of mine. Um, then going back into it, I mm. felt like everything that was in my core was being taken away. Mm-hmm. And whereas I embrace new challenges and I'm always like if travel traveling alone which I do a lot of the time is every day every decision everything you do to a certain degree is a challenge Mm -hmm. and it's a challenge to yourself and I suddenly became really cautious and almost worried about the flat became my sanctuary Mm -hmm. and I started to be worried whenever I left it Mm. and kind of a little bit twitchy and my big excursion in the first lockdown was to go to the supermarket once a week and that was kind of a big it was like it felt like jeopardy at the time (laughs) there was all this fear and everything I know Um, as a collective we all experienced that yeah around the world yeah absolutely and it's one of the few times that everybody everybody knows these feelings and, and, Mm -hmm. and what it means but for me it was it was everything that was at my core was now something that I was quite fearful about. So getting on a train to go into London, because I only live like 20 minutes on a train from London, doing that filled me with fear. Um, and so I started to feel like I was much more comfortable just staying in my flat and life was easy. And that is why I, why I said I just felt like I was losing myself. Mm-hmm. and um and spiraling into this this downward because everything that had helped to kind of create a new life for myself after I lost Terry was about traveling and I don't I will freely admit there was a lot of running away involved soon yes so, yes I understand so I, I know and I recognize that entirely um 
but I was forced to kind of deal with it. I don't have a lot of friends who live around me and my, my, my friend who is local, she was, she unfortunately lost her mum during the first lockdown. And so she was in London with them. So there was nothing, nothing of my life that I'd chosen that I recognized. And then I was this fear, fearful about leaving the, leaving the house and leaving the flat and, mm. and everything that went with that. So that's what I say when I felt like I was losing myself. So what then happened is we were in the second lockdown and I think we were released um, around kind of November time, end of November. Um, and then it was this flurry of, of news stories and everybody talking about Christmas and building things up into this, um, this fury. And um, back then it was the first Christmas I had never, I hadn't been with my family. Mm -hmm. So we've always made an effort, even though they live in Australia, we're very close. So we were either on our way to go and see them or with them. At Christmas or they were on their way to come and see us or with us at Christmas and because Australia isn't letting anyone in or out very readily at the moment I couldn't see my family so there was all of this news and media hype about how awful it was that people wouldn't be able to be with their family at Christmas and I was like well it, it's a reality for me anyway it's the first time it's it, I'm on my own so to try and take control of this whole situation, I felt I've got to take, I've got to act. I've got to do something. So I, mm -hmm. I can't, this isn't who I am. So I decided, I, I had a friend who lives in Antigua. Um, and the one thing I could do was book a flight and go and spend Christmas with somebody that I knew and just get out of this, this kind of, um, I don't know, it became a bit of a furore in my head. Yeah. Um, so that was my plan. I was ready for, I was ready for if they made me, so I had to have a test before I left and, and that came back negative. So I isolated before the test. I isolated after the test. I was ready if they were going to test me when I arrived. I was mm -hmm. ready if they were going to put me in government quarantine for two weeks because I, I, I planned to go for a month. So even if they did that, I was okay with that. I was okay if they told me to isolate in the house in Antigua. I was okay with any of it. I just wanted my freedom and I wanted to not be trapped here. Um, and then it was a Saturday. I was leaving on the Tuesday um, and I spent all afternoon that Saturday packing to go to Antigua. Um, and then I just kept hearing on the radio, there's going to be an announcement from the prime minister. It's going to be at six o'clock. And, um, and it's like the, the sense of dread, right? Yeah. There yeah. will well, be an I, announcement. <laughs> but to be honest with you, our prime minister was making announcements on almost a daily basis. So, um, so the, the, so the announcement then came and it was that people who lived in my area, so it was kind of around this London and the Southeast were going, we were in a, they had a tier system of, of risk, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we were, the whole country I think was in tier two and we were being placed straight up at tier four as of midnight, so that was mm -hmm. six hours time. And nobody from this area was allowed to travel. 
nobody was allowed to go anywhere after midnight and um and so my friend got straight onto the phone and she was she said come up they, they live like two hours drive from here she said come up come now spend christmas with us and i just i just could not get my head around i've been packing ready to go to Antigua in a couple of days and now it was like going to be a rush to go out to bed. I was like, no, I can't. I just need to just take stock of what's just happened. Yeah. Um, and the thing is people could still, and what my friend in Antigua was saying is people are still traveling here. They're coming from the UK. It was like, well, oh. they can, they can come from outside the area to the airport and fly out of the airport. But if you live five minutes down the road from the airport, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. So, so yeah, that was on the, I think it was the 21st of December, um, that all happened. And it meant that I was going to be on my own for Christmas, mm. for the first time having been on my own and we were back in lockdown again. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, I, I felt like I tried everything yeah. to get back to who I was and what I wanted and take back control. Yeah. And um, then the rug had just been totally pulled out from under me. But you did spend that Christmas Eve with your friends. I did. Interestingly enough, I decided the next day there is something I can do to take control. So I went to the shops and I bought everything I needed to have a full on roast turkey dinner. <laughs> Even if it was just for me, I was like, I'm having everything. I'm going to make it an event um, and then Christmas Eve I was out walking with a friend of mine and um, and after that I got a phone call and it turned out that she she's her brother and his family I'm very close to too and then they invited me to spend Christmas Day with them mm-hmm. and I was absolutely and it was a beautiful Christmas they've got little kids and it was, oh. like, it was a very different Christmas. Yes. And yeah. Very, a very, very special Christmas. Oh, I'm I so like glad. I wasn't alone. I'm so glad you had that. Mm. Yeah. It was, they were amazing. And I love how you talk about taking action. Mm. You know, that you just didn't, you didn't want to wallow. No. Because some people just want to wallow and um, you just knew that you needed to take action and you did. Mm. And I and I understand the wallowing. I've done plenty of that in my time as well, Sue. But it, no, it's it's um, I think it is that whole. I just needed to have some semblance of control, and I had to. Yeah, I had to. It was the worst possible scenario. So then I was, how can I get a better scenario out mm-hmm. of the worst possible scenario? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. interesting then, that that you say that because. Um, you know, I do a lot of meditating practice and um, I have spiritual guidance from someone and she talks about when you're feeling a feeling and it's blocking you and it's keeping you from moving forward, just think about the next best thing that you can do to raise that energy level. Mm-hmm. If you're sad, maybe you won't go all the way up to joy and happy but if you're sad maybe there's just one thing you can do to make you feel better you know and um 
that's pretty much what you did. You know, you just mm. knew that you had to take some kind of action for your mental health and your well-being. And yeah, um, absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe in that. Mm -hmm. Everything that you just said, I think there's always a way to change your energy. That's right. If you take a decision that you're going to change your energy. That's right. Mm. Oh. Oh, um, you talk about finding peace. And um, I want to share this quote mm -hmm. from your blog. And this happened in the third lockdown. You just spoke of all this. And you said you stopped searching and stopped worrying. Being alone was no longer the all-consuming and self-pitying state it had felt before. I was enough. I am enough. I love that. To come to a place where and sometimes it's a daily realization that I am enough. I am enough just as I am. Mm. Uh, absolutely. I, th I think it was, um, it was a combination of another, a number of things that it, I, th I think it's partly the whole running away thing, partly the constantly searching for something else or the next trip or the next thing to do and and just not not really giving myself that time to stop um and i think the third lockdown um because of all the things that we've just talked about and all the mm -hmm. things that i've just described i just had to give into it mm -hmm. and um and deal with it as it was and somehow I came out of it just thinking, I'm, I'm at peace with this. I'm actually comfortable. I've stopped and it's okay. Whatever I was running away from, I can't, I've, I've, it's been impossible for me to run away from it anymore. Yeah. Um, and just get used to being at home, being at home and being on my own. And whether it's, um, silencing the voices yeah about you need to you need to be this person you need to be thinking about this you need to you need to have somebody you need to be looking for something some some next thing mm. and suddenly I just realized that that wasn't how I was feeling anymore I felt that I'm actually okay in myself and with myself and I don't have that desire that I think was was in me to to um, be with anyone else or mm -hmm. be anyone else or do and be something else. Yeah. And that was a period of seven years mm. between the time that Terry died and and now. Yeah. And you talk about running away. Describe that for me. I mean, I know that was all part of the grieving process because I, you know, I lost my dear mother. I just right. loved her, loved her. Uh, this was years and years ago. And um, so I know what it what it's like to just want to run away and put yourself in another place where you're so distracted that you don't think about it. 
So you're running away. Yeah, I mean, what is your experience with that? Um, well, I think for, for me, what I mean when I say about, when I say running away is exactly what you've said. It's finding distraction. And I became a very effective expert at it. Um, and so when I first lost Terry, um, I had friends and family, my family, everybody knew how important travel was. And it had been a huge thing for me before I met Terry as well. And they kind of knew that for want of a better phrase, bearing in mind the circumstances, travel was my happy place. Yeah. Um, and so what, what then happened in that first year is I just kept getting messages and phone calls from family and friends to say, would you like to come here? Um, the first one was literally about three weeks after I lost Terry. And my friend was like, look, I'm going skiing. I'm going on my own. I've got a place booked. Um, would you like to come with me? And um, I hadn't skied for 20 years because Terry wasn't able to. And I was never very good when I was skiing before that. Um, and I was just like, it, it, it coincided with it. So when I first lost Terry, I had some amazing friends. I have some amazing friends. And they, they put a rotor together. So I was never on my own. So someone was with me for the whole of that first week. And then my sister was arriving anyway, because they were mm -hmm. coming over for Christmas um, with the whole family. They were going to arrive anyway a week later. So someone was with me that whole time. Then my family were living in the house. It was, it was this weird kind of camping in the house experience <laughs> where there was mattresses on floors <laughs> and the house was chaos. I have very few memories of that Christmas. But the fact that it was chaos and I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's not important to get stressed out about That's that. Right. Um, but this, the, the date when she was talking about coincided with my sister going home um, and back to Australia. So that was going to be my first time when I was going to be on my own. And so it just was delaying the inevitable, I mm -hmm. guess. So I went and met her in Canada and we went skiing for two weeks. Um, and it was a perfect distraction of doing something physical that had to occupy my mind for, from anything else. And then that rest of that year followed invites from friends and family. One of them was like, oh, I fancy going to Borneo. Would you like to join me? And I just said yes to everything because it was so. So I spent that year having kind of like a month to six weeks at home. And then I was off with someone else having another distraction. Um, and this went on for that first year. And then I came to a realization that, um, well, as I'd said to one of my friends, she was, she was saying to me, I'm worried about you being on your own. And I, mm. and I said back to her, I, was like, I, I don't have a choice. It's not a choice I have. Mm -hmm. um, so I can distract and everyone can help as much as they like, but at the end of the day, I've got to suck it up because I'm on my own. This is my situation. Um, and I just felt that there would come a time when amazing though my friends and family are, um, they'd stop thinking about me in those terms and they'd stop thinking about me first and the, the invites would, would, would stop. And therefore I had to start taking control. But also there's so many things that I wanted to do that I probably, all of these trips were all amazing in their own way, but they were on someone else's agenda. 
And yeah. so I thought, I'm just going to end up just chasing and following other people on their adventures and doing them. And they would be great, I know, but it's not about me. And I need to take control of this because I am on my own and this is my life. Yeah. Um, and that's where I, I, I decided to come up with my life list, um, which some people call a bucket list, but it's the bucket is kicking the bucket, which is which is things to do before you die. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stomach anything to do with end of life at that yeah. point. So for a very long time, I called it my list of things, um, which is very inventive. Um, and then I, I read somewhere about this life list and I was like, that's what it is, is it's, it's my list of how I am then going to live um, and to create a life. So I wrote, I wrote it all down and I did a whole load of research on every single one of those items on the list. I had 117 things on there. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. And then, yeah, and then that next year, I just started to um, follow them and sort them and research them and work out how I was going to then start to tick them off and, and, and use them to create a life which is what I did. And that is my life of distraction. And that is what I'm terming as running away mm -hmm. because I, I was on a mission to, to just, it, it was a roadmap and it got me the, it gave me the breathing space and the opportunity to heal and to yeah. grieve um, and to go back out there in the world on my own um, and face it down, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Face the tiger. Mm, yeah, yeah. Face the tiger. Yeah. And, and that, that's how I feel it is. It's like, because every, every day was a challenge and, but getting up every day can be a challenge too. But if you can get up somewhere more beautiful than where you live, it's, it Absolutely. takes a thing out of it, I guess. It does. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow. And it's your your grieving story, and mm. it's beautiful. beautiful. Oh, thank you. When you were doing all of that traveling during that period of time, did you have or sense a connection with Terry? Was there ever an internal conversation with him? I think all of it, because it was a passion of his. Well, yes and no, because. Mm -hmm. um, Terry was very specific, so he needed a, he had a very short attention span. I think yeah. I've mentioned that. Yeah. And so um, he'd always want to do things. So he loved cities um, and he loved beaches. And we did a lot of cities and we did a lot of beaches and there always had to be action somewhere. Um, places to go to have a few drinks. And he always used to, we always used to say, I was strategy, he was, he was implementation. <laughs> I'd organize all the trips, where we were going to stay, the fact that we were in a cool area that we could then go and explore and bars and restaurants and all that. And then when he got we got there, he'd then be organizing this is what we're going to do each day. So <laughs> great teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> but what I what I found was that firstly there'd be a lot of things that I hadn't done um for 20 odd years, like skiing, which I wanted to do, but Terry wasn't able to because of his health, mm -hmm. um, scuba diving for one. Mm. Um, and so I, I, 
brought things into my life that I would never have done with him. Mm-hmm. And there was lots of things on my list that I would never have done with him. And when that's also when I discovered that I found cities particularly to be one of the loneliest places. Um, yeah, and particularly read... there were places that we used to have that were very special and I couldn't go back to any of those. Yeah, yeah, I read that in your blog. But you mentioned um, New York City as being an exception. Yeah. Um, New York, I, I went back to New York and I haven't been back since. So the, the first trip I did on my own again was um, I went to Hawaii and Hawaii was somewhere on my list. So I, I ticked that off, which was great. Um, and I spent the first week, I met my family who met, we met halfway in the middle between Australia and the UK, which was mm-hmm. LA and Hawaii. So I spent a week with them. Um, and then another friend of mine was coming out from Australia to explore the big island with me. Um, and I had a week in between the two. So I went to Kauai on my own. Um, and uh, and that was that was kind of a fundamental for me of getting used to being on my own. But coming home, what Terry and I had always done is we'd always done like a, a break of a few days somewhere on the way home. Mm-hmm. So always looking for somewhere that looked interesting that we hadn't been to on the way home. And New York is kind of like a good stopping point. So I decided to go back there. Um, but we used to have this fantastic hotel that we'd stay in in Soho. And I just couldn't I just couldn't mm. bear the thought of going back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I booked to go and stay in Brooklyn, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I didn't I didn't even put a foot onto Manhattan or anywhere that I'd normally go. I just stayed in Brooklyn and spent it's two days cold. there. Yeah. Um yeah, and I th- I think that really highlighted to me um how hard it was and how different my experience were going experiences were going to be. Mm-hmm. And that was almost like a conscious decision. I thought I thought I think New York is one of the one of the cities that um I probably would feel more comfortable being on my own. But um, I I remember on that skiing trip, I spent a couple of days in Vancouver at the end of the trip. And I I was Mm -hmm. on my own, but I've got a friend who lives in Vancouver Island and she came over for a couple of days. But there was one evening where I got the guidebook out and I'm reading the guidebook and Terry and I have been over over in Canada. So it's the same guidebook. And I saw, oh, this place looks nice, this pizza place. And I walked in and it just gripped me because I was like, oh, I've been here before. I was here with Terry last time. And it's it's always in cities, there's always people meeting friends and, and going out with loved ones. And, and there's always people with other people. Um, and at that time, that was when I felt, well, firstly, I had a whole load of social awkwardness um, that I, I was going through and dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big time when I was in Kauai that I was I was dealing with that because I didn't want to get into any conversations with people. Um, so I'm, I'm not I'm a fairly socially con- confident person, yeah. but then I just didn't want I didn't couldn't meet anyone in the eye. I couldn't mm-hmm. talk to anyone. I didn't want to engage in any conversation because I was always worried that they were going to ask me. Yeah. Yeah. why I was there and what my situation was and and in my head I thought 
I'll either tell them and get emotional and that's not where I want to be and what I want to be doing or I'd ruin their night by telling them because I'd tell them this horrible sad story and and Mm -hmm. obviously it would ruin their entire holiday yeah and that's hard for you to keep repeating that story Mm, yeah it might be a first for the person you're telling but if you put yourself in that place being in places where you were with Terry it's like a repetition you know, mm. and that that can be difficult um, yeah. I know this isn't quite the same but when when my mother was alive we we did a lot together and one of the things that we did together was go to church mm-hmm. and after my mother passed and it's been the same to this day she passed 15 years 15 16 years ago I find it very difficult to go to church mm-hmm. very soon after she died it and I think that maybe it's it was the same type of feeling that I just had this place that was for me, emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, whatever it was. And church was a connection for both of us. Um, she had many friends, I had friends. And, um, and I can still feel that to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I only started really connecting back to church during this pandemic when everything went virtual and Mm. that was safer for me, obviously. But it's another situation, it's not that whole familiar sight, sound, smells (laughs) feeling of sitting in a church, is it? It's different. But um, over the holidays, I did go to church a couple of times and um, it's funny that those feelings can still follow you. They're still a very big part of, you know, my psyche. So mm. I, yours is, is as profound, if not more so. So I completely understand. No, I, I completely understand yours too. I, mm. I, it's, I'm sure how a lot of people feel. Yeah. So, um, Travels through home in England. You know, my sister, two sisters and I, Kate, Lucy, and I traveled to England in 2019, I think it was. And we had a wonderful trip. We spent a week in London and then we went to the Lake Lake District. Yeah. Beautiful. Which was a beautiful spot. Mm. And you talk about traveling on the roads, I think, when you're talking about Scotland. Yes, you're talking yes, about I've those done a lot of road narrow trip. roads and oh yes, yeah. That was that was an adventure. Kate was brave and did the driving, mm. and I was brave and sat in the passenger seat <laughs> with your head in your ah, yeah, eyes. Ah, no, always going, ah. <laughs> oh my god, so nerve wracking, but um, just a a beautiful trip that we took. Mm. So um, lovely. Your memory. travels through home. These were places you hadn't been before. You know, it's funny, you can live in a place for so long and never discover. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I always used to make a, make a joke when I was in Australia that um, everyone was like, oh, you've seen more of Australia than I have. And I've, I, I said at the time, but I've never been to Stonehenge. Um, and then once I got back, I was there for a year. And once I got back, I was like, I've got to go to Stonehenge mm-hmm. now. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah, there, there's some beautiful parts of, of, of the UK. And I think I've always had this this whole 
um, thing in my head that everywhere else is more interesting. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's very yeah. strange. Yeah, and I know there's beautiful parts and I've been to the Lake District um, a number of times. My sister was at college up there um, and it's and it's stunning. But yeah. I think when I've done when I had done those trips, I hadn't had that same mindset of discovering new places and appreciating places so much more and seeing them through new eyes. And I think this last seven years has given me that opportunity to see things through new eyes. But whereas in the previous few years, there was always somewhere else to, this was like a stop point to kind of like gather my thoughts, do yeah. my research and then I'm off again. Um, whereas I was forced to stay here. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I thought, right, okay, again, take control. Um, so when I was released from lockdown um, that final time, I thought, right, okay, where am I going to go that I've not been before and is going to keep me occupied for a week, 10 days. Um, and yeah, I, I just got a new car. And so I went on a little road trip um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that's, that's I think, also what... I was just about to use the word thrive, actually. Um, I think that was an environment where I I, I thrived. Mm. Um, doing my own thing, deciding what I wanted to do each day. I was hiking a lot. I went to stately homes. Um, I did all sorts of things. Um, and I took my video camera with me. I have a little GoPro that I do a lot of yes. videos for. Yes, with. I love that. <laughs> And um, and I think it was also the first time I got the confidence up to start talking into the camera as well. And I felt like I was taking a friend with me. Yeah, I think that when I, when I explain that to people, I think that sounds so sad. No, but no, I literally, no. I have my GoPro, I hold it at arm's length and I chat away about anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt that was that was me going on my own, doing my own thing, doing everything on my own terms. But I felt like I was taking someone with me. Um, and you need to be your own best friend. Mm, absolutely. Because I think, I believe when you're your own best friend, <clears throat> you can be someone else's best friend mm. in a better way. Yeah. I really believe that. That's and beautiful. you talk about uh, history, castles, stately homes and delicious pudding yes they make a great pudding up there bakewell tart or no they call it bakewell pudding it's the wrong one bakewell tart bakewell pudding is the only place you can get it <laughs> nothing like delicious pudding yeah delicious exactly food. <laughs> yes precisely so you traveled in the peak district yeah south wales yes yeah, so I went. I went to the Peak District first, and I enjoyed it so much. I'd never, I'd never been to Wales, and everyone was saying it was lovely. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a trip to Wales. Um, and then I did some amazing hiking, um, and it was just beautiful. It was in the mm. summer, so it was absolutely lovely. Um, and then I sprained my ankle. I know. So and then you I, were in lockdown again, of sorts. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was forced to stop again. Yeah so but hey but um you talked about <clears throat> your friends being your knights in shining armor because they, they were there for you absolutely because you traveled yes. you traveled alone a lot yeah i traveled alone well that that was one of those moments um so i did a lot of hiking 
but then I actually sprained my ankle coming out of the bathroom in my hotel room. <laughs> Here I had visions of you being in this. I know. I, oh my God, is that funny? I know. That's Everyone funny. says that. It's like, oh, I thought you did it hiking. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I'm very clumsy. I bruise myself a lot, but I've never had touch wood. I've never had any big serious injuries. Um, and that was the first one I had no idea what to do. Um, and I was on my own and I had my car and I was probably a four hour drive away from home. Yeah. And, and you couldn't I just drive. No, I couldn't drive. I just didn't know what to do. And um, yeah, I had a friend, my friend and her husband were absolutely amazing. They both drove down. It was a Sunday. They both drove down. I got him insured on my car. They drove me back to their house, which is um, kind of in the Midlands. So that's still two hours away from home for me. But um, yeah, Mm. it meant that I could just stay with them for a week. Um, And then once I felt I was better and able to drive, I could then get myself home, which was going to be a lot easier from where they were than where I where I was and I have been. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was it was one of those moments where firstly, I felt incredibly alone. Um, and that whole sadness and that whole kind of like that's when your demons come up because you're on your own and then you try and phone people and they're not available or they mm-hmm. don't, don't answer the phone and then you feel even more alone um but it was also when I realized the power of a network mm-hmm. and the job that I used to do was a national job so I have um friends I mean they're not people I see I haven't seen them for I don't know sometimes 10 years or more but your friends on Facebook and I put this I put a Facebook post out there going oh this is what's happened this is what my foot looks like this is the inside of a hospital in the Brecon Beacons this is my hiking as, as far as it's gone and I got so many responses from people offering help offering to come and get me mm. offering something um that I I was just actually you know you're only alone in your own head um and sometimes you just have to tell people that you need that's help. right and, and that's that something I'm historically not very good at I, I, I'm not very even when I lost Terry it wasn't it was just asking for help was so hard mm-hmm. um but you do it and you realize that it's actually you're not on your own and um and everyone everyone wants to help if they can it's a human nature and it is it is hard to pick up the phone or like you said to make that post it's being vulnerable yeah that's what it is Mm. and I know sometimes I stop myself because you know I don't want to bother someone or I don't want to tell my story because especially with my sisters I don't want to tell them what I'm going through because I don't want to upset them or worry them absolutely and Mm, that's robbing them of the opportunity to help me, to be there for me. And it's robbing me of the opportunity to be vulnerable and to release whatever that is that is is holding me back or making me upset. I completely agree. I, I discovered that when I was when I was doing my travels, starting to tick things off my life list. Um I was, yeah, I, I was initially, I'd go, I went on a couple of tours and I was initially very um, 
reticent to -hmm. tell anyone what my situation was and on those things you can hide stuff you you can Mm -hmm. you can be who you want to be I guess which I mean I'm still me but um no I know what you mean yeah but you don't feel the need to share your your innermost story which is still quite raw and it wasn't until after I was I was on this trip just for nine days in Bolivia absolutely amazing Mm. and um and you connect with people so we all got each other's contact details and Facebooks and and everything and I put something on after that I was writing um about my experiences and I wrote about wrote something about Terry and one of the women who was on that trip came back and said I'm I can't believe I didn't know this I'm so Mm. sorry to hear and we're still connected on Facebook and regularly write to each other. And I think, actually, I, I could, that could have been a much deeper friendship that we had mm-hmm. in that moment if I'd have just shared my story mm-hmm. and people connect with it. People, it doesn't destroy anyone's holiday, as I first mm-hmm. thought in, in all those years ago in Kauai. It doesn't. It it, it gives people an opportunity to connect, yeah. and it gives you the opportunity to have deeper connections with people. Yeah. But you've got to take that leap of faith and be vulnerable with people mm-hmm. to enable that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really scary. I think that maybe it's part of our innate um well i speak from my own experience my innate dna if you will that you know i'm of dutch heritage you know in english and you kind of like you're independent in thought and in will and i mean i even still do this to to this day that when I'm challenged with something, I can figure this out. Mm. I have enough resources within myself to deal with it, to figure it out, to come through onto the other side. And I think for me, that's what keeps me from... But I'm learning to connect more through this medium that I'm doing. Mm. And... This is so not like me. I really made a big change in my life. And I don't feel that I really had a voice, an authentic voice Mm. for years and in the work that I did and and in school and everything. So this has just been an amazing experience for me making these connections with people that I don't know. Mm. And wow, it's rich. It's very rich. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, good for you. But there's there's anything you you do that is outside your comfort zone Mm -hmm. is, is it's, um, it is so enriching to push yourself and to do that. And, And it's very, very rare actually that you do it and something negative happens as a result of that. Very true. Very true. And I've learned through many practices that if you're afraid and it's not bad for you, you have to do it anyway. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, yeah, don't regret things. Is if, if you, if you're going to feel that you wish you'd done something, 
then that means you should be doing it. And I am going to finish this wonderful conversation that I don't want it to end, but with your, your, the last quote that I read on, on the blog, a quote um, of Thomas S. Monson's, and it says, the past is behind, learn from it. The future is ahead, prepare for it. The present is here, live it. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. And I just get the sense that that is absolutely where you are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And and all the experiences of the last couple of years have got me to that point of recognizing Mm -hmm. that it's all we have. Yeah. Sue, this has been a wonderful talk and I'm glad that we connected. Thank you. I'm really pleased we connected. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. This has been my my pleasure, and I'm hoping that we'll stay connected. Mm, Definitely. And I'm sure we will. And um, as I said, I don't want it to end, but this is just a conversation, one of many. Absolutely. Yeah. So you yeah, uh, that's the important thing about connecting. It's just the start. Yeah. So I like to ask at the end, what are you doing today? What are you going to do today? Well, it's nearly the end of the day. It's five o'clock here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have my whole day ahead of me. <laughs> but I'm going to make myself some dinner and I'm just going to hunker down. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. night. There's a beautiful red sunset I'm looking oh, at while I'm speaking nice. to you, actually. It's stunning tonight. So I think I'm going to enjoy that and um, make the most of it being Sunday night. That's great. Sounds wonderful. Mm. Enjoy your sunset. Thank you very much. You have a lovely day. Thank you.